Hey, it's Sarah, and I'm here with another amazing interview for kids these days, a podcast brought to you by grant funding from the Kansas Department for Children and Families. Hello there. So we have another awesome interview today, um, and it is with my colleague, Sabina, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. So go ahead. Hi, everyone. My name is Sabina Hoffman. I am located in Victoria, Kansas, and I am part of the developmental inclusion team. Um, as a specialist, I can go out and provide services to child care providers to help them with their inclusive practices in their own setting. Nice. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, for real, let's just jump right in. Um, so the last interview we had on here was Jen Pishney, our other, one of our other colleagues who's also on the developmental inclusion team. And she talked just a little bit about, you know, steps to getting services, what to do if you have concerns. So I think, you know, we talked, we talked a little bit about and a little bit around inclusion, but I'm wondering if we could just start in that place of play-based learning, which is something on the podcast. We, I mean, all the seasons, all the episodes about play, but really focusing on the inclusive part of that. So I think when we think about inclusion, a lot of times, and even myself as a previous classroom teacher, I thought of inclusion as providing support to the ones that need it so they can be included in the setting. But I think now the term inclusion really truly means what can we do to provide support for all children in the setting based off of their needs and their abilities. Um, And then just truly making sure that inclusion is for everyone. Inclusion is going to support all children, but we just have to fine tune it a little bit more for children's needs um, more specifically. And so making that setting, and I don't even want to say that inclusion is so much a setting. It's more of a feeling for people Hmm. because we all want to be included and we all deserve to be included and have that um, sense of empowerment in our own settings. And so being able to give that to children is really powerful for them and can be very powerful for child care providers as well to give that inclusion feeling. I love that, that it's not even so, that it's a feeling. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. Because we talk a lot, a lot, a lot about everything you do in your classroom should be based on the observed strengths, needs, and interests of the children in your classroom, regardless of whether or not they have a diagnosed delay or disability. So I love that, that it's a feeling that we all want to be included. But I really think like, you know, as a previous classroom teacher, I would have kids come in from the special education, the resource room, they'd come in and be included for a little bit, but they truly weren't included on a day-to-day basis. They were bouncing between a room and coming in for some social skills, but this really just gives that feeling that everyone can thrive in the environment, given the right tools to thrive. And so being able to support children in that means and giving them those opportunities is really huge for everyone to actually see what true inclusion should look like. Well, I would argue that that's not how social skills work. Right. Yeah. You know, in a vacuum or (laughs) in a a 15, 15, 20 minute. Uh uh, Exactly. Right. Like come work on your social skills now. Okay. Bye. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's how it works. Environments thing. So. Right. Right. So then if we think about that, uh, perfect segue into this idea of inclusive play-based learning. Like, so if we look at inclusion as a feeling, as everybody, everybody wants to be included, how do we do that based on their strengths, needs, and interests? And we know that social skills don't happen in a bubble or in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like? Inclusive play-based learning. So I think when we talk about, you know, the social um, part of it and the magic of play-based learning and how to make it inclusive, 
really we have to look at those parts of development for each child, you know, where their play skills are at due to their differences, needs, their different ability levels, mm. taking that knowledge. And then as the provider, taking that knowledge and fostering the creation of your own environment to make mm. it accessible for all children, but then just fine tune those little pieces to really support and bring it home for the children that have the extra needs um, and different abilities and just making sure that they are able to explore in their environment, meeting them where they're at. You know, we're not going to get a child to increase their ability in any area. If we're starting at this level, we want them to be at, we have to start them where they are at. Mm. And even though that progress may feel or look slow, sometimes it will help them gain strength and their abilities at a much more um, positive rate rather than always saying, oh, they're just not here yet. They'll get right. there, but we have right. to meet them where they're at. We can't start them on something that's too high of a level right. for them. I don't feel like once that I've heard you say, you know, when you have a child with a diagnosed delay or disability, when you blah, 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 blah. It's just this, it's so, so important for every, you know, for parents and providers to hear it's not scary. It's the stuff you're already doing. Yeah, you're definitely. already making um, adaptions, uh, changes, uh, you know, the kiddo that's uh, not quite ready to drink from an open cup. You're giving them a sippy cup, right? Absolutely. That's, that's an adaptation. That's a, that's a, that's a inclusive practice. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And so I just, I don't know, I felt like I had better words, <laughs> but like, no, I, just, I, understand. <laughs> I just loved what you, how you were saying, like you just, it's, uh, it's a vibe and I'm here for it. So yes, for sure. Yep. I think, you know, just making sure that you're being inclusive in all aspects. I mean, really it is just the feeling of being inclusive and providing those supports. Yeah. Not so much in an inclusion room. It's where you're meeting the child and supporting them to be the best that they can be. Okay. So when you talk about some of those supports, so let's, so let's talk some specifics, some generalized specifics, if you will, okay. only if you can say it three times fast. Um, let's talk, could, could you talk some examples of just general inclusive play practices? And then, I don't know, I'm so hesitant to say, oh, if you have a child with autism, you should do this. If you have a child right. with so-and-so, you should do this. Because that, to me, just starts mm -hmm. to take away from this beautiful, like, little gift that you're giving everybody with this. Inclusion is a feeling. It's the way your classroom should be set up. But I guess what I'm trying and this comes back to, I know you guys weren't all here for this, obviously, but the conversations that our team has been having in the last several months about what does inclusion mean? How do we as generalists yeah. communicate that? I, I want you all, the listeners, I want you to be able to connect this idea of a child with a diagnosed delay or disability and the adaptations and the inclusions mm -hmm. that you do for them to the things that you do for every child all the time, every day without bogging everybody down with, with, um, with words and, um, definitions and labels. Am, am I sure. making any sense at all? Yes. I'm even thinking I could take some of the scenarios. Okay. Break down scenario to kind of describe how you could modify it. If you like do it. That's perfect. <laughs> Cause perhaps better than the words that are trying to come out of my mouth. Oh, no, you're good. You're good. So I think a lot of times when as providers and 
um, individuals, we try to really narrow it down to, well, this child has this delay. So what can we do to support them? And I feel like that can kind of put it in a box um, and take away the feeling of inclusion. That's exactly what I was trying. I'm sorry to talk over you. (laughs) I just wanted to say that's exactly what I was trying to say. And of course, I should have just shut up as I should do now. I'm doing that now. Sorry, go. You're good. You're good. So I think it can be really hard to take that because we know that children need certain things to work on to increase their skills. All but we kids. also have to meet them where their strengths are at, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think a lot of times, for example, like if I am working with a child who is, you know, maybe has really great play skills, but is still working on improving their communication skills. Um, one example I have, and I don't know if you want to plug a training or anything at this point, but Absolutely. one thing. Let's talk about, let's say what it say your training. <laughs> so in the inclusive play-based learning training, um, yeah. what one thing we talk about is how to facilitate play with children. Um, So we know that children all play differently and play might look different. You know, we have these social norms that this is how we roll a ball. This is how we roll a car. Not all children are going to play in that way. A Mm. child might roll a car down a ramp while another one wants to figure out how to make it slide off the side of the wall. You know, like things are going to happen. Right. (laughs) Children play different ways and we have to see what they're doing, try to understand their play and then support it the best that we can. Um, just by being there and being Mm -hmm. inclusive. And so one of the things we talk about in the training is, you know, how this childcare provider can facilitate language skills um, and then further his play just by joining in, you know, on simple things. We want to talk about like um, joining their play, but we also don't want to interfere with their play. It's Um, such a, that it's such a balance, man. It's such a skill to learn with any and all children and all ages. Yes. Oh, like in one of my last trainings, I wrote in there, if I'm working in my planner and I have, I have my system, I have my color pins that I use for different things. I don't want someone to come and interrupt my so-called play by taking my colored pins and writing a different appointment. I mean, that's not going to work for me. Uh-uh. That just interrupted my play. And so if we think about that in the terms of chi- children and how they play, if we're interrupting their play, we just stepped on everything that they're doing theoretically, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think a lot of times when we talk about that play is just sitting next to them, using that parallel play yeah, and playing what they're playing with, like off to the side. So parallel play is basically taking what they're playing with. They have their own things. If they're playing with cars, for example, Mm -hmm. we're going to sit next to them and play with cars. We don't have to talk to them. We don't have to interact with their ramp that they're rolling the cars down on, but simply mirroring their play, essentially. Right. Um, And then doing self-talk, a lot of that I think is really important, you know, talking about the size of the ramp, the color of the cars. Wow, I love how this car rolls down the ramp. Um, You know, I'm wondering who went down the hill today on their way to childcare. Um, Making it realistic and connected to real life experiences is really important. And so just having that open communication and then eventually that child will either one of two things. They'll either invite you in their play and go, hey, my mom drove the car down the hill today to talk here today. That's how we got here in the car. And it has four wheels. It's a blue car. Or they're going to completely ignore you. And maybe next time they'll invite you. And that's okay too, because they're engaged in their play. And that's what we want. We just want to support them the best that we can. Um, and just making those connections, I think is really important. It'll support that communication that you're wanting to get the goal to. Mm-hmm. But also it's going to take time. Rome wasn't built in a day and children need are going to be throughout their lifetime, um, just different varying degrees of support. And so we want to be there for it. I love the whole tangent. (laughs) No, no, no. I love how you, um, 
this is what I took from from that is that that play you um okay an adult being an adult play partner has two parts right mm-hmm. it's that it's that playing beside it's that um making yourself present making yourself available and then narrating your own play yes is that is that fair yeah. is that because exactly. i think that's that piece is like we want to play beside kids but we want to tell we want to we want to jump in. We want to tell, we want to do. So instead, I love how, I guess what I'm trying to say is I really love how you broke that down of like, I want to play beside you and I'm going to narrate what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not necessarily narrating what you're doing because that's again, putting, putting um, meaning to someone else's thoughts and actions. I'm just going to narrate my play and maybe ask some questions of you, you know, try to Mm -hmm. try to kind of get you involved a little bit, but that I I just, yeah, like be, be present and narrate your own play as a way to build trust that you respect their play. And I think that's huge is respecting their play. And because when we look at children with divergent, you know, neurodivergent needs, we know that children play differently. Children play differently, even if they're neurotypical, Exactly. Um, but just being very respectful and mindful of how they play and how they interact with the world is going to help us understand what they need from, you know, us as providers, even more so. Absolutely. Uh, just being respectful around the whole way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you're talking about this idea of, you know, being, being beside them and narrating your play to kind of build trust like so what so what does that look like if you have somebody that's a little bit older or someone who has different needs or different strengths like because i don't um that's why i, say I really love that that kind of two part to this you know of like kind of being mm-hmm. there and then narrating yourself to build trust but i also don't want that to be the 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 teacher the provider just sitting there right and maybe say right. something occasionally because we're not, we're still not quite sure of ourselves of, <laughs> of, okay, am I supposed to talk? Am I not supposed to talk? So right. kind of, can you talk to the levels of that engagement? Yes. Okay, great. For sure. So I think a lot of times we, we only look at two parts of play and learning and we almost kind of separate them. A lot of times we'll look at play as it is free play. It is wild and chaotic. And right. then we look at boom, this is teacher or child care provider directed. Yes. And there's no, it doesn't always feel like there's a middle ground, but there is because there's a lot of times we have the three different types of play. Um, and first I'll talk a little bit to it is child directed free play, which, you know, we know is a purest form of free play. Um, but we can also make it to where we format the play a little bit to help children select activities that are interesting to them. Hmm. Um, and can keep them engaged and that are based on their strengths, needs, and interests that and you've observed based on all of those. Yes, exactly. And so I think when we talk about child directed free play, it doesn't have to be chaotic because you're giving them things that they love and they're interested in and they're excited about. It shouldn't be chaotic. Life. Right. Exactly. Sorry. I'm so sorry to interrupt. I, it shouldn't be. I, I, no, that's I the, that's the thing. More and more I'm in the classroom. I'm sorry. I don't mean to interrupt. I No, you're good. <laughs> It's like, you're just saying all the things, right? I think that's the pieces we were like, okay, it's free play and I'm going to let them do what they want. And it's like, 
Well, but if you're planning your environment and you're planning yeah. some activities that you can spontaneously engage in, but they mm-hmm. are intentionally planned, it won't be chaotic. Exactly. I think a lot of times we get to that level of chaotic play because one, kids aren't interested in yep. the objects. And so they're going to start, if they're not excited about blocks, it becomes chaotic when they start throwing things because they're not interested. Yeah. Or, you know, we haven't engaged with them enough to support their learning with the play and yeah. help them get different ideas. So that's when it becomes chaotic is because we haven't scaffolded the yeah. tools that they have and we haven't made it interesting for them. Yep. Then when we talk about like teacher guided play, um, that's where, you know, we're observing as providers, the children's activities that they enjoy, but then we try to structure that learning environment, match their interest. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gives as a provider or a teacher more opportunity for those specific learning outcomes. And we're guiding, facilitating that discussion a little bit more um, with them and just yeah. helping them make those meaningful connections. Because for example, like when we talked about the child playing with the cars in the ramp, they might not have made the connection that mom went down a hill today in the car right. and drove them to childcare. Right. But if we're facilitating those discussions and making those connections to real life, it helps a lot. Okay. Something you just said gave me a light bulb kind of thing. It's like, right. you can't have if you're doing it in a developmentally appropriate, intentional way, those two are almost chicken and egg. You can't have one without the other, mm-hmm. right? In order to tr- to be an intentional, appropriate teacher-directed thing, it has to be based on the child's observed strengths, needs, and interests, which yeah. comes from observing them during child-directed play. Absolutely. Just the way that we can even scaffold our own creation of the environment and helping support their learning through play is going to be huge yeah. in this. Yeah. Okay. So you said three things. So you've talked about child directed, teacher directed. Yeah. So teacher guided was the second one. Sorry. Um, and then so child directed free play, we have teacher guided play. And then the last one is teacher directed play. Okay. Um. So that's where you know, the adults are determining the activity, the lesson mm. and the desired learning goals. Oh, I like the difference between teacher guided, teacher directed. Right. The only difference with teacher directed really is they determine all those things. However, we have to also think it needs to still be play-based and hands-on. So we're not looking at worksheets. No. Um, you know, we're not doing, we don't want product art. We right. want process art, things like that. So we want to give them those opportunities to do it but then tailor the lesson to yeah. what we're working on to learn. Okay. Can you give me a specific example, an example of the difference between teacher guided and teacher directed? Okay. So when I'm looking at teacher guided play versus teacher directed play, we know like, for example, in teacher guided play, if we have the sand table open in our setting, mm-hmm. we know children love playing the sand table. And that's an activity that they enjoy. So we're trying to structure the learning environment to match what they love. Right. The sand table. Um, But then, for example, maybe we're wanting them to learn about shapes. You know, they're at the age where we want them to be able to recognize and identify shapes. So we're going to put in different opportunities for them to learn about the shapes within the sand table, which we know that they love. Um, So that could be having blocks with different shapes in them. You could have even free play forms, um, like loose parts, mm. you could take sticks in the sand table and they mm-hmm. could t- try to make shapes out of those different sticks. 
that also gives you opportunity to learn about lines and angles and the corners, different things like that. So you're incorporating all this play yeah. with loose parts in the sand table that we know that they love, but now we're tailoring it so we can teach them what we want them to learn about shapes. Okay. If that makes sense. Absolutely. And it's still hands-on. There's yes. no worksheets. No. Um, it's something that they love and that you can help facilitate. Yes. Okay. So when we're looking at teacher guided play, the adults are observing what children are playing with and what they enjoy. So trying to figure out their interests and then matching the environment to their interests. The adults are guiding and facilitating those discussions between children to make those connections. But then when we look at teacher directed play, that's when you might look at it as a, an activity that you want them to learn and follow. I feel like teacher directed, teacher guided have to happen together. Yes. And that's kind of a way of scaffolding the levels of play to make okay. sure you're getting those learning goals that you are wanting to get to, but mm -hmm. making it fun for the children at the same time. So we're definitely scaffolding those levels of play at the same time. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's this whole intent, you know, spontaneous intentionality that I've been trying right. to kind of work <laughs> through my brain of like, you know, we observe during child directed free play so that we can create a teacher directed activity that is then implemented through teacher guided play flip those last two so on child directed free play that's where we're really observing and they're right. to supervise them during their play right with things that keep them interested and engaged then teacher guided is where we're making those connections with them for example like the teacher playing on the floor with the child yep that parallel play is kind of that level and then teacher directed is where they take you know, X activity and they have to get maybe some outcomes on it for the different children. Um, but they're going to keep it play-based, hands-on. Teacher guide play is almost the middle grounds to both yes. ends of that. Because it really is taking the the child-directed, the chaotic play, so-called, yeah, yeah. and the teacher-directed and really just bringing it into the middle because that's what we want. Nope, I think that's great. So I guess the bow on that is... This is all appropriate for all, all children, all ages, all abilities. Yes, exactly. Being very inclusive to everyone's needs and where right. they're at, their strengths. Right. Their strengths, needs, and interests that you have observed in the classroom. And I think that's the biggest piece. Okay. So we keep talking about how accessible inclusion is, right? Is that mm -hmm. a fair way to say it? Like it's yep. super, super easy, <laughs> but can we talk about when you have a child who has a diagnosed delay or disability that is maybe outside of your own comfort zone as a provider, maybe mm -hmm. you've never had a child um, with a diagnosed delay or disability in your program, but you, but you already operate from this inclusive lens of everybody needs what they need and I provide what they need. So what is that? What could that look like? Maybe I don't know what question exactly to ask, but, you know, knowing that every child is different and every diagnosis is different and it, right. there is no, like, a child with autism does this, you know, a child with Down syndrome does this. But, yeah. like, I guess the question I'm trying to ask is, how do we help providers overcome any fear or apprehension in including a child with an actual delay, diagnosed delay disability in play? 
So I'm going to try to answer that the best I can. Especially since it was like a seven in one question, maybe. You're good. I think a lot of times as a provider that it can feel kind of scary to include a child with different delays or disabilities diagnosed or suspected perhaps. Uh, Uh, It can feel kind of scary. But I think a lot of times when we look at it through the lens of inclusion, we see the opportunity instead mm. um, of something scary. And so when we look at it as an opportunity, if we are providing those services to support the child in the environment with whatever needs that they may have, it also opens up the opportunity then to engage the children in your care already. Um, One example of this would be working with a child who is using sign language to communicate because maybe they're not developmentally ready to use a speech board. Mm. Um, can't even think of the name of it right now, the actual term. <laughs> a but I board? think a lot of, what? Pex board? Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. I was thinking a different communication term, but yes, if they're not quite ready to use a full Pex board, you know, maybe at that level, even thinking like toddler stage, maybe they're using sign language to communicate their needs, what they want to eat. You know, if they're thirsty, if they're tired, taking those sign language skills and incorporating mm-hmm. them throughout your entire day with all children mm-hmm. is making it inclusive, but you're also supporting the needs of that specific child at the same yeah. time. And pretty soon it's really neat because when you open up the door to have those opportunities within your classroom, you're going to also see those students in your classroom really participating with that child and supporting them and loving on them and playing yes. with them in a way that we want our children to be played together um, yeah. and be supported because like we said, inclusion is not a place, it's a feeling. And when that child mm-hmm. is having that interaction with other children, we know that they're going to get those strengths and those skills that they're really searching and needing too. And just makes you feel more confident as a provider when you can support them in that way and see that growth throughout all the children in your care. Well, I think that to your point, you know, if I am showing the group as a whole that this one child who has, you know, a specific need with sign language that I'm meeting that child's specific need. So I think it begins to send the message to other children. If, you know, un, you know, unconsciously, Yes. if I have a need, she's maybe going to meet it. Mm-hmm. I agree. And so I think makes- I'm going to engage in that because I can, I can, I'm, I can see and I know that's giving a lot of cognitive credit to a toddler or a preschool, but I think it's maybe deserved credit because that, yeah. I mean, that's how we learn respect and trust and attachment things of like, oh, I see how she treats him and yes. I'm going to treat him that same way. It, um, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, kids are always watching their sponges. They Absolutely. see everything we do. And so yep. the more inclusive and inviting that we can be. Yes. They're going to see it and they're going to take it, not just within your own setting, but they're going to take it to their home. They're going to take it to the community or they may play with children with different needs or abilities at the park. And they're going to use those same things, those same skills. I know even my own daughter, she saw the sign language board and the communication board at the park one day. She goes, Hey, I have a kid in my class that uses that. I can spell my name in sign language. And I thought, this is fabulous. I mean, just seeing those connections in the environment and the community. I'm sorry. How cool that a park has sign language board. Um, We have, so we have that at our school park in little Uh Victoria, Kansas, Mm -hmm. but we have the art park in Hayes. I don't know why I'm pointing that way. It's that way. (laughs) (laughs) Two 
here I am. Fair enough. <laughs> but we have the Arc Park in Hayes, and it's an inclusive park where they have really tailored it to be inclusive for all kids and abilities, and it's awesome. And they're working on, and we even, um, just even as a side note, when we were at the Kansas City Airport, they have a play space with a communication apex board on the wall and a sign language board on the wall. Awesome. The only suggestion I would have for them is to take one of those boards and put it down at eye level. Right. Because they were stacked. Like, mm. like man, that's a bad teacher in me. <laughs> right. No, when you're like, hmm. eye level, please, because that's too I, high. I, I appreciate the effort here, but <laughs> could we? Have you ever met children? Have you seen how yeah. tall they are? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I yeah, love just that. being able to see those different things in right. real life is cool to experience. So yeah. How I yeah, I love that so much. <laughs> so when we look at the magic of play-based learning and how we can make it more inclusive, the biggest part I would say is making sure that your inclusion aspect is not so much the place that you're in, but the feelings that you can facilitate. Yeah. and support and even demonstrating the childcare setting that you're in inclusion yeah. can be really powerful and i think when we rephrase it to more of a feeling rather than a place we can see how inclusion can impact everyone yeah. everyone in our care all the children just making sure that they feel loved and supported in whatever needs or abilities that they have and fostering those connections between children and providers is going to be really powerful in makes a huge difference in their lives and they feel that love even as young as infants and toddlers mm. they're going to feel that love and support and their families are going to also see that growth and that support too which is phenomenal. absolutely 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 well and so to tie it back to you and your part the part of you the part of our team that you are on words um you know of the developmental inclusion that I think, you know, going back to, I, I feel like I'm inclusive. I, I feel like, you know, I base right. everything off of kids needs, but gosh, I just had a kiddo that started that has a diagnosis and I just, ugh, they could call you. Absolutely. Yes. So and one thing that the team that I support that I work with. So one thing about the team that I work with we have specialists who are on the mental health side, but also specialists on the developmental inclusion side. And with having that special education background, we're able to come out and support the childcare provider yeah. to make that environment more inclusive for the children. Um, you may have a child with a specific delay or disability that needs support. And while we're there to provide support to the provider themselves, we can also help make it more inclusive for everyone. Um, one really thing we might want to include too, which I think is very important to get this word out so you can edit however you need to. Um, when you're having those conversations with families about the child in your care, let them know that there are services out there to support their child specifically, yep. but also to support you as a professional childcare yeah. provider is knowing that you can put a childcare, the parent can put the childcare provider on there on the release form, Yeah, which I don't think is very talked about talked about very much yep. or well-known. Um, and so just make sure to have those conversations and letting the parents yeah. of the children in your care know that there are services out there to support you as a provider and their child. Yeah. So we can bridge this gap and make sure that everyone is supported in every faucet. Yeah. So I know last, uh, the episode um, I did with Jen, um, I'm trying to think what all we linked in there. Um, okay. 
I can't remember what all it was that we linked in there, but, um, you know, if I think you think the milestones is really important in there too. Yep, I'm pretty sure that um, we have that one in there. Um, tiny K or, you know, part, part B. Yes. C. Okay. Thank you for having me. This was fun. And I hope, so. I hope so. I like the different part, right? <laughs> I listen to plenty of podcasts. I've never been on one though. So. Right. It's a whole nother world. Yes. Yeah. No, I think just this idea of play, like it's absolutely something that is, is just, it's the basis for everything that we do. And, absolutely. you know, but how are we facilitating it? How are we planning for it? Because there is that level of controlled chaos as it were right? right it's not not to the level like you you know said of you know worksheets and we're all going to sit down and do the same thing at the same time and you know it's 9 15 so we're going to do this and but that yeah. there is intentionalness intentionality in our environment in the materials that we use in the activities that we plan in the engagements that we have and that is true for all children at all ages and stages of development just that connectedness that you'll have with your children in your care, just knowing that they trust you and you support them. It's that reciprocal relationship that we want to foster. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Excellent. Well, I'm so, this was so much fun. Um, yeah. I always love doing interviews, even if the people who are being interviewed don't necessarily love it since I you know, but, but very new, but it's all right. It's all good. Right. It's just, it's fun to make connections yes. with someone else, different words, different ways of looking at it. Yes. So I, I really appreciate you and your time today. So I think, um, you. I think this is going to be a fun one for everybody to listen to. So sweet. I'm excited to hear it too. So it'll be good. <laughs> Yay. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you, Sarah. Appreciate it. You bet. Kids These Days is a co-production of the Casito Kids Infant Toddler Specialist Network and Casito Workforce Development Programs. These programs are supported through a grant from the Kansas Department for Children and Families, Child Care and Early Education Services. However, information or opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the position or policy of the agency, and no official endorsement should be inferred. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, or want to share your practice related to this or a previous episode, please email us at kidsthesedayspod at gmail and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at kidsthesedayspod. If you love this episode, share it, rate, and subscribe. This episode was recorded and edited by Sarah Holmes. Music track, Cheery Monday by Kevin McLeod.